Welcome to How They Did It. This is a career podcast that will interview different professionals to find out how they got into their careers. Each professional has their own unique way of entering their career field. So I hope you leave feeling inspired and encouraged after hearing these stories. Before we go any further, make sure you are following this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Also, you can help me out by spreading the word to anyone who might benefit from hearing these stories. A five-star review also goes a long way. Thank you so much for listening to How They Did It. I am your host, Hannah Josie. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody, to How They Did It for uh, Season 3, Episode 1. I am so excited. Today, I am interviewing somebody that I have known for a long time, but haven't talked to for a long, in a long time. Uh, T.C. Schwindling um, met in Montgomery and uh, kind of, I guess, once I graduated. I don't know. When, when did you leave Montgomery? I left Montgomery in 2011. I think we met in 2007 is when yeah. I moved to Montgomery from Pittsburgh. Um, I became pretty good friends with you and your sister. I was new back in town. Uh, you guys had just joined First Baptist Church and our friend Jeff was, you know, in the mix and we were just all either in college or just gotten out of college and running the streets together. Yeah. I know babies really. Um, I don't know where that time went, <laughs> but it was fine. Well, um, TC, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast with me and just kind of sharing your story about how you became a creative director mm-hmm. and uh, the path that you took to get into the position that you are now. So um, let me, I always go back into high school uh, with the very first question and um, ask, did you know in high school that you wanted to be a creative director? The answer is no. In high school, I didn't even know that the career creative director existed. Um, I was lucky that in high school in Montgomery, they have a program called the magnet school program. And I went to a magnet school called Booker T Washington. And I, um, as a child always watched these television shows on the discovery channel. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They were called movie magic. And they were TV shows where they talked about how they made movies and how these people would build these models of sets and then they would run cameras through them and all the special effects and stuff. And I knew as a child that I wanted to make movies and I wanted to be a storyteller. And um, so in high school, that was my dream was to go to Los Angeles and make movies. And I was so lucky to um, have a teacher, Nana Waldrop, who was my technical theater teacher at Booker T. Washington. I took technical theater which um, if you don't know what that is, it's basically the backstage part of what you do in theater. Um, And I learned how to build sets. I learned how to do lighting. I learned how to make costumes. I learned the ins and outs of storytelling, directing, being a stage manager. All of that I learned in high school. And I was so lucky to have Nana Waldrop as a teacher who really took me under her wing and um, really taught me everything she knows about the entertainment industry and pushed me really hard. You know, I thought she was a mean teacher at the time. It it turns out she wasn't mean. She was just really um, pushing me because she believed in me. And um, she pushed me to really try to not take the easy route. Mm -hmm. Um, She really wanted me to do something that would challenge me. And so I think we'll get into this later on, but one of the things that she pushed me to do was to Um, apply for this school in Pittsburgh called Carnegie Mellon. It's the number one theater and film school in the country. And um, so she was like, you know, the acceptance rate is 7%. The chance of you getting in are slim, but I believe that you can do it. I believe she kept saying, I believe you can do this. 
And I would always look at that number 7% and say, there's no way. There's no way that a kid from Montgomery, Alabama can be one of the 7% from around the world that gets into the school. But she kept saying, I believe you can do this. And she groomed me and she helped me put together a portfolio that um, got me in. I, I was shocked when I got that letter and I got in. But to answer your question, when I was in high school, I wanted, I wanted to go to Los Angeles and make movies. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah, and, um, that is awesome. Um, it is kind of funny, like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, looking back, like it is kind of funny how many teachers like I would have probably said are mean or whatever, but we're really mm-hmm. there just trying to get the best out of you. I know some of my kids probably said the same thing about me too. I think I had yeah. all the seventh graders terrified of me. I, I look back, even in junior high school, you know, I went to the magnet program in Montgomery Junior High School. I took visual arts and um, creative writing. And the only reason I took creative writing is because you had to have a second elective and I didn't know how to play an instrument I didn't mm-hmm. want to act. And the only other thing was creative writing. And I can remember back, I had a teacher, Sharon Garrison. I don't even know if she's even alive anymore. She was old then. Um, and she was probably, I would have said, the meanest teacher I had. But dadgummit, she taught me how to story write. She taught me how to tell stories in a beautiful way. She taught me grammar. And later on, you know, um, looking back, I can see where, why God placed her in my life, why God put that in my life. And um, I would say the meanest teachers aren't mean. They're just pushing you because they believe in you most of the time. And that's yeah. what I tell my kids is some of the meanest teachers are the ones that taught me the most. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it does challenge you and pushes you into something that uh, is difficult. Um, so to make it out of that, uh, where you can say that you are one of the seven percent that made it into Carnegie Mellon, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, OK, uh, one of my questions is like, where did you go to college? Uh, Carnegie Mellon, what? is, and I remember talking about this years and years ago, what is Carnegie Mellon's mascot? It's a Scotty dog. Yeah. Actually, when, when I was there, they just changed it. When I was there, it was actually a piece of fabric, which is so silly. <laughs> uh, Carnegie Mellon was actually founded by Andrew Carnegie and Andrew Mellon, two business tycoons in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. One, Andrew Carnegie was in the steel industry and Andrew Mellon started Mellon Bank. And they uh, combined their institutions to make Carnegie Mellon. And Andrew Carnegie actually is Scottish. And so he wanted the school to have a Scottish heritage. And so the mascot of the school, we were the Tartans at the time, and the mascot of the school was actually his Scottish plaid. Every family in Scotland has a particular plaid, their Tartan, and ours was his family's plaid. The the school mascot was his family's plaid. So we would all wear that plaid and run around (laughs) and stuff. We didn't have an animal until about 10 years ago. They, the school realized that like, if we're going to be serious in NCAA sports, <laughs> a piece of fabric can't be our mascot. So the Scotty dog's the mascot now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, Hey, listen, I think if the Stanford tree could be intimidating, a piece of fabric could probably be intimidating right. too. So. <laughs> you can make a tree look mean. Um, okay. So are you, uh, now that you have finished high school, you're going into Carnegie Mellon as a freshman, like is, was that pretty intimidating to move to Pittsburgh uh, and start at Carnegie Mellon as a freshman and go through all of that, uh, with really nobody you knew from Montgomery doing it with you. Yeah. My parents dropped me off on an August afternoon. Um, and I, I still can feel how scared I was. I didn't know anyone. Um, I didn't know my roommate. I didn't know any of the teachers. I, you know, I auditioned for the school on a whim and never thought I would get in. And then I got in and I actually had to go through with it. You know, I actually had to move up there. Um, and to be just to be a boy from Alabama who's just dropped in the middle of this huge city. Um, but 
I'll, some of the most important lessons I've ever learned, I learned in those first few months in Pittsburgh. Um, I learned how to make friends. I learned how to um, be self-reliant. I learned how to ask questions. Um, mm -hmm. I think those few months taught me that the most valuable life skill you can have is to be a question asker. Mm. We all think we know everything. Um, we all think, uh, not that we all think we know everything. We all, we all think that sometimes we do think we know everything. And I think it's important to know that like, there's always more to learn, right? Mm. There's always another viewpoint. There's always another path that's gotten someone to where they are standing next to you and to ask questions and to say like, Hey, how did you get here? How did you get, you believe this? How did you get to that? You know? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it taught me to ask questions and that's taken me so far in life, but to answer your question, yeah, it was, it was super scary. Yeah. Um, well, I love that. Cause I mean, I'm hoping that this is kind of what the basis of the podcast would do is to help high school students start uh, asking those questions about like, mm -hmm. I am interested in this and this is what I have a passion about, but I have no clue on how to get there. Yeah. Um, and that like hoping that I can find the people, like if somebody's interested in doing what you do, like here's how you did it. Like, it's, and there's uh, always someone, right. You just have to, you have to look a little farther than you're used to looking. If you just dig a little deeper, you will find that person who has gone down the path that you want to go down. Yeah. And it's so valuable to ask questions. I, um, I'm a big fan of Jay Leno and I read an interview with him one time and they asked Jay Leno, how did you become so successful? And his answer blew me away. And it's just, I still quote this all the time. He said, whenever I walk into a room, I assume that I'm the dumbest person in the room and that everybody in that room has something they can teach me. And I think like if, if Jay Leno can say that, then like all of us can say that, right? Like all of yeah. us can walk into a room and assume that we're the dumbest person in the room. And when you do that, I do that all the time now. When you do that, you'll be amazed at the things that you learn. Not only that, but the doors that open up for you. Um, mm. When you realize that other people in the room have, everyone in that room has something they can offer you, doors open that you never would have imagined would open for you. And um, that's one thing, if, if you were to ask me, what's one thing you would tell a, a high school graduate to carry on in life with them is to, to, to assume that you, you're the dumbest person in the room and ask questions. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, because a lot of high school students are not doing that. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, while you're at Carnegie Mellon, I'm assuming like when you went there, you had in mind like this is what I'm going to major in and mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to be doing, right? Like you didn't yeah. switch majors in Carnegie Mellon. Like, is that a possibility? I did not switch majors. It's too expensive to switch. Yeah. Majors. I had to do it in four years. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had a path and Carnegie Mellon's different than most colleges too, in that it's a conservatory. And that's a big, scary word to mean that more than anything, it means that you study what you're going to study from day one. Mm -hmm. You don't come in and do core math classes and core science classes and English and all of that stuff. Like I, I think like at Auburn, I think your first two years, you don't even really touch your major until you're like yeah. in your junior and senior year. Well, at Carnegie Mellon, you walk in day one, you're doing your major and you do it for four years. And, um, and so that's fun, but at the same time, it's really intensive. You know, mm -hmm. you are, you're diving in head first and there's no room for change. If you change, you're adding another year or two onto your time there. No, no questions asked because you've come in with a path that you're going to follow. And so that really wasn't an option for me in, at the Carnegie Mellon School of Drama. It's when you come in, you're committed to this or you leave, you know? Yeah. And so um, in a way that's good because I was kind of 
wishy-washy as a high school student and probably my first two years of college. And so I think God put me in a place where he knew I had to be there, where I had to be committed to it. There was no other option. I was there hundred yeah. percent. So, um, I remember you telling us like, uh, just while we were hanging out at first Baptist, you went to this, like to LA and went into mm-hmm. different sets and all that kind of stuff. Like kind of tell us like kind of what you thought about like when you were there. Um, I remember yeah. you saying like a specific story about like how it's there one day and then kind of gone the next. Yeah. Kind of thing. So it's so funny. Um, probably around my third year in college, I really felt this call towards full-time ministry. And I was struggling with that because I'd committed myself to this pretty expensive education. And I was, I mean, I'm not bragging. I was pretty good at it. You know, I, I was pretty good at designing scenery. I was pretty good at telling stories and I just didn't quite understand why God would start to pull my heart in a different direction. And um, I sought some wisdom on that. And everyone I talked to said, stay the course, God will let you know when he wants you to divert. And so I stayed the course and that course took me all the way to Los Angeles. I mean, I was right there where I dreamed of being. I was on the sets that I was watching on movie magic as an eight-year-old. I was standing there. I, I, I could see it like studio 13, studio 14, these famous studios at Warner brothers and Paramount where these TV shows were being filmed. And, um, I remember we were on the set of Gilmore Girls the day it was canceled. And, um, I mean, we were there, the set was there. It was beautiful. Everything. I mean, it was exactly like you see it on the TV show. And within an hour, there were guys there with chainsaws, just cutting it all down. It was over. I mean, there was no contract for next year. The show was over. And I think that's the moment where the, the switch flipped for me. And I think for the first time ever in my life, I heard an audible voice from God that said, this isn't, this isn't what I have for you. It's time to divert. And I remember Mm -hmm. that night we had a party at a guy, he's still my friend. His name is John Schaffner. And we had a party at his house. Um, John Schaffner is a famous television designer. He designed Friends, Two and a Half Men, um, the Emmys. He designs the set for all those, the Oscars. I mean, you name it. And if there was a sitcom in the 90s he probably designed it um and I was at his house and he was just like TC what do you want to do where do you want to work you know um, at the time I think ABC was really starting to pick up some TV shows I think American Idol was huge at the time and the switch from situational comedies to reality television was that was right there in that shift that was Mm -hmm. happening and um and there was also a shift happening between you know, the stuff that I'd seen on movie magic where they were making these sets by hand and things were really starting to go digital. And it, I happened to be good at Photoshop. I happened to be good at motion. I happened to be good at this, this. All these technologies were new in 2006 and 2007, this idea that um, you could create something digitally and, and put it behind someone. That idea of filmmaking was so new. And I just happened to be good at the digital side of it too. And a lot of people from ABC and a lot of studios were wanting to hire me. And I remember standing at John Schaffner's house and I said, you know, John, I think um, this is amazing. And this is my dream. I think I want to go to seminary. And he just looked at me like I was crazy, you know. Um, And I left Los Angeles and, and God had his hand on me because two weeks after I left, some of my friends took jobs out there. And um, we're in the middle of a writer's strike right now. Um, 
you know, it's a big deal. Nothing's being written in Los Angeles. This isn't the first time that's happened. Mm. Two weeks after I left Los Angeles, um, that uh, rider strike happened in 2007. That was a big rider strike. And um, all of my friends didn't have jobs out there. And so I think God really had his hand on me in a way that I didn't realize um, when I moved back to Alabama and decided to go to seminary. Um, he really had his hand on me. He really protected me from that first round of rider strikes. I would have been out there by myself without a job. I probably would have been waiting tables, you know, which is fine. Yeah. But um, God had a different plan for me. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I do remember that rider strike because it was such a big deal. I did not realize we were currently in one. No, we are. Well. Sure that just shows you how much I keep up with the times. That's um, why Jimmy Fallon is all reruns right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I did not realize that. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, um, I am so glad that the Lord brought you back because um, we got connected at First Baptist and you uh, working with Stuart, like that mm-hmm. was some of the, like, and I came my junior year of high school. So I wasn't there ninth through 12th. And for my junior to senior year, that is probably the most fun and impactful two years that I had mm-hmm. where I was like, I want to stay and I want to volunteer. Like I, like I want to stay connected, uh, because I was one, I was not going off to college anyway. Uh, so it just made sense, but, yeah. uh, y'all did such a great job. Um, and it, like, I can speak for Michael too. Um, because I mean, we had Stuart come back and do our wedding. Yeah. Um, so it was like, y'all left a big impression and a big mark on first Baptist. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Thank you. so we, we absolutely loved having you there. One of the moments I think, and it like, it literally, I had tears coming up in my eyes is when you were moving, you and Megan married, y'all were moving to Huntsville. It was like one of your fa- uh, last like days at first Baptist is Sunday night. And, um, TC, y'all, if y'all don't know, TC uh, designed all of our t-shirts, like for any kind of youth camp, uh, winter retreat, any kind of like Bible study, like TC was the t-shirt designer and they looked amazing. Uh, And so the entire youth group, I'll never forget it, all wore a t-shirt that you had designed. Uh, It was a special night. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Um, but when first Baptist lost you and Megan, it was definitely, uh, a big shoe to fill for sure. Um, from both of y'all. Cause I know Megan was highly involved too. Um, so, uh, but I don't, don't, don't want to skip over those years because those were formative years too. Right. Hmm. Um, so when I moved back to Alabama, the big question was, is like, what are you going to do? you know, what are you going to do while you're at seminary? And I was so lucky that Stuart saw something in me and gave me a chance to be a junior high youth minister. And um, Stuart and I, I still think there will be never be a better dynamic duo than Stuart and me. We were like two cogs that fit together perfectly. Uh He was the master of coming up with ideas that were just perfect to reach children. And he was such a, uh, his personality was just so lovable, right? Everyone yeah. oh, loves yeah. Stuart. And on the, on the back end of that, you had me who didn't really love to be around people, but I could take Stuart's crazy ideas and bring them to reality yeah. because I, I went to school to be a storyteller, right? Like uh-huh. I have this, this film degree and um, turns out I can tell a story and I can put a set together and I can, I can make all this stuff come to life. And um, those six years were some of the most special years of my life because we were able to do some stuff that, I mean, 
that most student ministries don't get to do. Yeah. um, That was fun. That was a fun time. And I think uh, God used that time to grow me in some ways that would become valuable later on in life. So I don't don't ever want to skip over those years. Those were some incredible years. Oh, yeah. I know. I was sad that I only had, like, I was only in the youth group for two of those. But uh, to work with y'all and uh, do, like, the youth camp planning and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. uh, when y'all came up with some of the ideas, I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. But it was, like, I could not... I would not trade those years for anything. Like they were so much fun. Like yeah. all the nights of playing ultimate Frisbee. Like, uh, yeah. It was so great. I loved it. Um, so, okay. Now uh, you've decided to go into seminary. Um, you got the job at first Baptist working with Stuart. Um, kind of tell us a little bit, like what happened next? Like after um, y'all kind of split ways, uh, Stuart's now a senior pastor at uh Oh, Eastern Shore in Mobile. Yeah. In Mobile. Mobile. Yeah. Um, and you went to Huntsville. So literally the opposite ends of the state. Yeah. Um, so kind of tell us, like, where did the Lord end you, like, take your path? Like, how did you become the creative director that you are now? Yeah. So um, a couple things happened. And, um, you know, a lot of people would say that, like, this is luck. Some people would say it's serendipitous. I think it's the Lord guiding me through life, you know, um, and, so a couple of things happened right around the time that Stuart was moving to Mobile. I got a phone call from a guy in, in Los Angeles. His name was Paul Joyner, and he's still one of my best friends in the world. I talked to him almost weekly. And he had found out that I was in ministry, but I also had a degree in television. And he was the creative director for Turning Point. And most people don't know what Turning Point is, but Turning Point is David Jeremiah. He's a... Mm. TV. He's a preacher who's on television and he has a huge ministry out in San Diego. And um, most people don't know this, but the week after Megan and I got married, instead of going on a honeymoon, we went to San Diego for me to interview for a job out there to be Mm -hmm. his director of television. So basically what I went to college for, but still in ministry. And Paul Joyner, when we were out there, he told me, he said, even though I didn't take a job with them, he said, listen, TC, most people think that to be a ministry, you have to be a preacher. And he said, that's the path you're on. He said, I've heard you preach. You're not a good preacher. He said, I'm going to tell you, you're not a good preacher. He said, the Lord has gifted you with the ability to tell a story. The Lord has gifted you with the ability to create things. And I would hate to see that go for, go to waste. And he said, um, I just want you to pray about, you know, what your next step is, because I don't think you're going to be a preacher. I think God has something bigger for you um, and different for you, not bigger, just different. And, um, and so flashback, you probably remember this, but while we were in San Diego was when the van crash happened. Yeah. Um, and I got a call from our pastor at first Baptist Montgomery, Jay Wolf. And he's like, TC, you need to come on home. Um, this is bad. It's really bad. And, um, I just remember being so scared of what I was walking into, but, um, we went back home and, um, Luckily, everyone survived that van crash. It was a pretty bad situation, but that cut my trip to San Diego short and probably is the reason I didn't take that job. And I'm glad that it did. Again, God guiding my steps through odd situations. Um, Came back home. Soon after that, Stuart moved to Mobile and I ended up working with Russell for another year and a half. And I was still happy doing what I was doing. I still loved working with students, but I, I, I clearly remember there was a Wednesday night where I was sitting in my office, designing some stuff, doing some spreadsheets, getting everything ready for youth camp. 
and it was around five o'clock and it was almost time to go downstairs to be with the students. And, and I was like, dang, I don't want to go down there. This is way more fun than hanging out with students. Not that I didn't like hanging out with students, but I was like, this is, I love this. And this is, you know, this is two years after Paul Joyner had had that conversation with me. So it took that long for it to really set in my heart. But for the first time ever, I realized like I enjoy this more than I enjoy hanging out with students. And if that's the case, then I'm not doing me a favor. I'm not doing God any favors. And I'm certainly not doing these students any favors. They need someone here who wants to be down there with them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so um, I, I began then looking for a new pathway. Uh, wh- what does that look like? So I um, interviewed with a lot of churches to be media director. I interviewed with a lot of churches to um be over creative. I, they're, they're a sound guy. I like, I, I just, I, wh- here's my skill set. Here's what I'm good at. I'm good at storytelling and I'm good at production. And it, it just never worked out with a church to be on a church staff, which was really heartbreaking for me because I thought for sure that, you know, like this was going to be like a magical story where God put these pieces together and I'd be on church staff to be a storyteller. And it never worked out. And, um, Somewhere around 2011, I got a phone call from my father-in-law of all people. Mm-hmm. He's like, listen, TC, um, I know that, you know, you want to be on church staff, but my ministry is at a point where I need a creative director. I need someone to help me put these pieces together. I need someone to help me um, tell our story. And I would love for you to come join us. And so I prayed about it. Megan prayed about it because she said she'd never moved back to North Alabama. And um we did it. We moved to North Alabama. And I'm, you know, that it was, it was probably about a year after I had this job where I saw, where I looked back and I saw all the little pieces, every step of the way come together for the first time, you know, like, God, why did you have me in visual art? Well, so you could learn Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Why did you have me in um, creative writing? Well, because one day you're going to be head of publishing for a pretty large organization why did you have me in technical theater? Because you needed to learn the production into these things because one day you're going to be doing live events. Why did you have me in film school when you knew that I wouldn't get to go to Los Angeles? Well, because you're going to be producing television and radio spots and you need that. So for the first, about a year into this job, for the first time, I was able to look back and see that God had like threaded Mm. the needle all the way through and got me right where I am. And I'm so happy I'm so glad that I followed his voice all the way through, you know, I could have stayed in Los Angeles and it probably would have been fun, but, um, this is the most fulfilling thing that I can think to do to be serving the Lord in this capacity. And, um, I'm so thankful that I followed his voice all the way through. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's truly amazing, TC, because not everybody has that same ending, you know, like, and I'm not saying this is them. You could probably move on to do something. Yeah, who uh, knows, right? You just yeah, yeah, who it. knows? Uh, but uh, that is like just to be obedient and faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. And you have done that uh, ever all throughout, like even starting in junior high, like you're like, okay, I'll take this class. Like, uh, yeah. so, uh, most people once like, they would have that teacher that pushed them too hard and it, like, they were like, I'm out, I'm done with this. And that's not really what, uh, they probably needed to do. So the fact that you stayed with it, you kind of saw the writing on the wall in LA where you're just like, this is not for me. I have a heart for, uh, the Lord and going to seminary and, uh, working with students and now all doing this. So, 
Um, tell us a little bit about um, what you do now um, and kind of what your day-to-day looks like. Uh, like if you want to just describe like what you do in a day, uh, how how would it go? Yeah, so I'm the creative director for Women of Joy. It's a women's conference that happens all over the United States. Um, we do, I think, 13 events a year. They're live events and our audiences range anywhere from, you know, 7,000 to 15,000 people per event. And um, it's hard to say what a day-to-day looks like because every day is different, right? There's seasons. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the spring and the fall, we're on the road. So, you know, we're living out of suitcases, um, hopping on buses, hopping on airplanes, going and doing these events. Um, in the summer and winter, we're at home planning for the next coming season. And so what I like to do is I like to describe what we do, not day by day, um, but season by season. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, is um, we plan 18 to 24 months out, which means right now, you know, today I've been working on 2026 stuff. Mm -hmm. And so 18 to 24 months out, we're laying out what the theme is for that year, who our speakers and artists are going to be trying to get contracts with them and work everything out with their agents And we're working on venues and hotels and getting all that lined up. And then you move to about 12 months out. We're working on marketing. Um, What does social media marketing look like? What does our print marketing look like? Are are these um, areas that we're in, is radio marketing a functional way to advertise it? You know, in Dallas, Texas, it is. It works really well in Dallas, Texas. But in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, radio marketing doesn't work because that's a city of transient people, right? Everyone in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee is... Um, a tourist. And so why would we do radio marketing there? So there's a different strategy there. So uh, 12 months out, we're working on marketing, we're designing brochures, we're really figuring out, okay, like, what are, what are some colors here? What are the fonts we're going to use? What, um, what story are we trying to tell when the woman leaves this conference? What do we want her to leave with? Obviously, we want her to leave with the hope that she has in Jesus Christ, right? But on top of that, what do we want her to leave with as a mother, as a, as a daughter, as a sister, as, as a wife? Like, what things do we want her to carry with her? We're focusing in on scripture and figuring out what, she, what we want her to take away with her. And so that's 12 months out. And usually about nine months out, I'm working with our production team. We have the best production team out of Milan, Tennessee, Internally Sound. And they are such great guys. But I'm working with them on lighting, sound. Um, how many semi-trucks are we going to have to have to make this event work? Are we, um, you know... Uh, how many hotel rooms does our crew need? How many camera operators do we need? How many people from unions do we need? Are we going to a union city or a non-union city? What does that look like? Who's going to be doing all the rigging in that city? And so that's about nine months out. And then once we hit about six months out, if, if it's not done by then, it's too late because six months out from the event, we're wrapping things up and then boom, it's the events here and we're knocking that out. And so um, it can kind of make your head feel like you're spinning because you I'm, on any given day, I'm working on this year, next year and then two years down the road and so you have to really be good at switching gears you know um so just from meeting to meeting like all right that was 2026 now we're going to 2024 okay now we're going into a meeting where we're talking about 2023 we're talking about six months from now and you just have to it's a lot of folders Mm. um i write a lot of things down i've got a little thing in here in my office it's just folders year by year and i'm always flipping through them so day to day it's different every day but um, you get into a rhythm and season to season, it's the same. 
Yeah. Well, you definitely got to stay organized then mm-hmm. uh, if you're going from year to year. Um, that is, that is incredible. Uh, I interviewed Brittany, uh, my sister, and uh, she's the events planner for all lifelines stuff. And she kind of mentioned the same thing. Like, here's what we're doing six weeks out. Here's what we're doing day of, of an event. And like, mm-hmm. so uh, just kind of breaking it down. Cause if you like, I am the queen of procrastination I would not thrive in that kind of job. Like I would have to have somebody yeah. delegating stuff to me to get done. I will conquer it. But if I am the one planning it, you probably made a mistake in who you hired. Um, <laughs> so to have uh, that capability of doing that, like, that just blows my mind because I like I do not have that capability. I'm like, I will do it tomorrow. It'll be fine. Yeah, um, it's it's all a learned I'm a procrastinator too. Um, but if you... Uh, Going back to my friend, Paul Joyner, he told me, he's like, if you want to be good at your craft, you will learn not to be a procrastinator, right? You'll Mm -hmm. learn how to organize yourself. And um, it's taken some time, but, you know, I think I figured it out. There are still days where I drop the ball um, because I'm with you. I'm a procrastinator. I'll I'll wait to the last minute. But um, when you realize how much is riding on this and and whose story you're telling, you know, Mm -hmm. like the Lord has given us the... um, responsibility of carrying his word out to the world. And that's, that's a responsibility that I don't take lightly. And so I just carry that in with me every day. And I, I, I let that keep me on track. Yeah. Because if, yeah, if that awesome. wasn't there, we'd be, we'd be off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I am impressed by what you do. Um, always have been, uh, like you're probably one of the most creative people I've ever met. Um, so just like looking at all the things that you have done and like you have created and designed and all that, it really is amazing. You do a fantastic job at what you do. So um, just to kind of wrap it all up a little bit, I know you gave some really great advice um, at kind of at the beginning um, about asking questions, but if there is any advice that you could give to either a younger you or to somebody that is interested in going into this kind of career creative field, um, like what would you tell that person? Hmm. Man, number one, stay open-minded. Um, you think you know where you want to go, but gosh, the path diverts so many times in life, right? You know this. Mm-hmm. Stay open-minded about where the Lord's leading you down that path. If you had told me halfway through college that you're going to be a youth minister for five years before you end up ultimately where I want you, um, I would have thought, like, you're crazy. But I'm so glad that I stayed open-minded because I'm at some of the best friends I have I met in those five years and I learned so much in those five years about what I do now and um those were good years and so stay up and minded um and the other thing I'm I'm gonna say this until I die is always be a learner always ask questions always ask questions I I love learning from people mm. and um I always say Asking questions is like building up a 401k, right? So we all put money aside for retirement. And if you do it right, that money grows exponentially because, you know, of compound interest. That's how just, that's just how it works with the stock market. If you're doing it right. Um, Questions are the same way. One question leads to another question, which leads to another question, which leads you down a path you never thought you would go down in a conversation. And it's like compound interest in a way. Um, when you're asking questions and you're being a perennial learner, you are going to expand your mind into places that you never thought it would go. And it, it, it just it 
compounds on top of itself and you end up in places that um, you never thought you would go. And I remember Jay Wolf told me one time, he said, TC, a stretch mind never goes back to where it was before. And I'll never forget that. Like um, when you stretch your mind and you open yourself up to listen to people who come from different places than you, who have been down a different path than you, who um, believe different things than you do, who have a different story than you have, then you are opening yourself up to a whole world that you, you are getting to learn from their path that you could never go on. Um, my path is different from your path. I can't go on Hannah Josie's path. That's your path. But by asking you questions, I am taking pieces of your path and pulling mm -hmm. it into mine and storing it in my head. And somewhere down the road, that's going to be valuable one day. So I think um, there's nothing more valuable than being a learner and a question asker. And I think the third thing is this, is don't take um, the season that you're in for granted. Um, you may not be where you want to be right now, but the Lord has an, a plan for you. And it's a plan um, for him. It's not a plan for you. It's a plan for you to glorify him and to make him known. But just because you're not where you want to be right now, or you're not where you thought you'd be right now, um, it's coming. And um, if you stay true to what he's called you to do, then um, he will use you as a vessel to do incredible things. Wow. Well, that's awesome, TC. Um, I don't know if anybody else needed that, but I needed to hear that uh, for sure. Uh, I told the school that I wasn't coming back next year. So I'm kind of entering into the season of like, I don't really know, like, I probably know I don't want to be a stay at home mom forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like, what is next is always the question that I keep asking myself. <clears throat> and if I let it, like my stress level will go through the roof with me worrying and wondering like what is happening next. Um, so just to know, like, to chill, it <laughs> yeah. just to rely on the Lord like that. He has something for you, like me. Uh, that was, that is something that I needed to hear. So you just preached right to me. So I appreciate that. Um, well, TZ, thank you again so much. Uh, it is so fun to get, uh, like caught up with you a little bit and, yeah. uh, just kind of hear your story. I know a little bit about it just from first Baptist. And I know you've talked in youth group and all that kind of stuff about like, what you did at Carnegie Mellon and um, out in LA and stuff. So um, just to kind of rehear it a little bit and kind of find out how you ended up where you are now as a creative director. Um, it, it is really remarkable where the Lord has taken you. So I'm super proud of you. Uh, it is oh, fun to catch you, up with you. It's so fun um, to catch up with you too. It's so yeah. great to see you. Well, um, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll keep in touch a little bit better than uh, <laughs> we have in the yeah, past. For sure. Absolutely. Thank you so All much. All right, TC. Thank you so much. I'll catch you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to How They Did It. And remember, there is no one way to get that career you want, and everyone's path looks very different. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there. It might be something totally different than you imagined, but go for it. But before you go, make sure you're following this podcast to keep up to date with future episodes. And please, please, please leave a five-star review. If you felt inspired by today's episode or have a suggestion on what career I should do next, then find me on Instagram under how.theydidit. How They Did It was already taken. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. I am Hannah Josie, and that was How They Did It.